out of the game with another installment of the Rufus Rundown. It is the 30th episode of season five. I'm, I can only imagine uh, what this is for episode numbers all time. I'm gonna have to dig into uh, some research there and figure that out because we got to be getting close uh, to 100 episodes all time for sure. But without further ado, we'll get into the 30th episode. A lot of NFL talk in this one. Sticking with that theme of the NFL, of course, the NBA getting started as well, too. And in due time, we'll touch upon it. But once again, just so much going on in the NFL that you can't just kind of glance over. And to, to kick it off, to start, we're going to talk about Taysom Hill uh, before we get into a couple of the other um, unique storylines with the Chargers GM apologizing uh, for signing J.C. Jackson, uh, the Josh McDaniels dilemma that continues to go on, Josh Dobbs' incredible performance, and then three up, three down, uh, the power rankings of the three biggest movers and three biggest losers of the recent week of NFL football. So, Taysom Hill, the first player since Frank Gifford to have 10-plus career receiving, rushing, and passing touchdowns. Uh, it's an incredible story. They did collect, the NFL Hall of Fame did collect some of the gear that he used in that game, and he's become, you know, not just over the time in his career, but obviously we've seen what he's been able to do over over time in his career, but, you know, over 60 years a player hasn't done anything like it. He's obviously one of the most unique players, if not the most unique player in the NFL. Uh, he just adds something. I, I didn't think that we could do, like, a two-quarterback system would ever work, uh, and obviously doing more than just you know, being a two-quarterback system. I don't know if a player like him could be, um, ever be you know sustainable but realistically like I do not think that the Saints have enough red zone play calling um, they have certainly lacked in red zone production they have you know I think lacked in the coaching department overall as a whole so only time will tell um, if they can continue to do this with Taysom Hill and if it if it is something that's sustainable I think that's more my common theme when I say a lot of these things is well is it can they continue to do it is it sustainable but um, I think Derek Carr has been very good um, as, you know, these last couple weeks when he has time to throw, he's okay. I mean, I, I think they've lacked creativity in the red zone, but if Taysom Hill continues to do his thing and stay healthy uh, and produce at this level, I think it puts the Saints in, um, into kind of a different conversation, more specifically unlike the rest of the NFC South, which we'll touch upon as this episode goes on. Um, but, yeah, I do, I do think that certainly – Taysom Hill is not just your, your, your Swiss Army knife, but he's a legitimate weapon. He's not just a guy that can do everything, but a, a legitimate, you know, just complete change of pace. So um, the Saints have, you know, picked up their play as of late, and they, they beat a team they should have in the Chicago Bears. But overall, Taysom Hill um, is, is is not just – he's valuable. He's a valuable player. He's not just a gadget player. He, he has true value to the Saints team. And if he continues to produce and score touchdowns and just – create a higher red zone percentage for a team that struggled in that department, which I think is where they struggle creatively in terms of um, there is where you have to be the most creative inside those 20 yards. Uh, they can get down there. They just haven't had success. They've had groupie missing kicks. At the end of the day, I think they did everything they could to try and lose that game, and they certainly did everything they could to not cover for me at 7.5. Uh, but Taysom Hill changes the dynamic down there, and if they continue to do that, uh, certainly a team to watch. And, yeah, here's another player to watch and another team to watch because you know, they were able to capture an incredible victory over the Atlanta Falcons in an incredible fashion with Josh Jobs stepping in for Jaron Hall after just a couple of plays. And, man, 
he didn't even know the names of his teammates. His teammates didn't even know his cadence. He hadn't taken any reps at practice. He arrived five days before. It's one thing to play a different type of position, and even then you still don't know schemes. Um, you still don't know play calls. You still don't know how to put that together. Um, so it's not just a quarterback position to be difficult. It's, it's difficult for any position to fill in. If you're running the wrong direction, covering the wrong person, or being in the wrong zone, like you can go on and on. If you're in the wrong place, um, you can't be on the field. Like they, they are so good at this level where they will find a way to take advantage of if, if you not knowing where you're supposed to be. Um, and it's a game of you know coaching, really uh, adjustment. So the fact that Dobbs was able to do it, after he, he spoke about it, um, Stefanski really doing a good job as well too, considering how much he's been able to win. He's up a uh, couple years, but you know Stefanski, uh, not, not not Stefanski, O'Connell, like that same system, right? Uh, O'Connell, Kevin O'Connell said that he had to map out plays for new QB Josh Dobbs mid huddle, describing the primary reads and which routes uh, receivers were running on each side of the field. O'Connell said. Dobbs' ability to handle it was one of the most impressive things he's seen in his career. I think it's one of the most impressive things any any football fan um, could see as well uh, in terms of how this you know adapt, improvise, overcome, Marine birthday coming up. So kind of falling in, falling in line with that. And, you know, a team like the Cardinals trading him away and knowing that they weren't going to play him, and then the injury happens to Kirk Cousins. And this is this is a good team. I mean, the defense is starting to play better under Flores and. They did trade away some of the O-line and after the injury to Kirk, but I don't know what the future holds, but maybe they caught lightning in a bottle for a week, but maybe this is still a playoff team. And O'Connell said he didn't really think about anything in the moment. Uh, he said, I can promise you that. Um, my job in, the, in, the mo- in that moment is to eliminate the chaos. It's going to be a very chaotic situation no matter how you want it to go. So my job in the moment of the injuries that go on is provide as much clarity for not only our players but our staff and obviously Hall went down and we don't even know what he looked like maybe he didn't look bad maybe he didn't look good but you know, we really don't even have a true gauge on what he was doing but uh, again the fact that they had to figure out what his cadence was <laughs> that's just, it's an incredible story and um, it's a part of, again why we're going to touch upon how bad the NFC South has been this season but Wes Phillips, the offensive coordinator for the Vikings, said that people may not always say it, and he won't say it about himself, but Kevin O'Connell did one heck of a job during that game. A situation like that is not easy. That's an understatement. Uh, that's that's understating it. So impressive. Impressive overall. Um, O'Connell, obviously a former quarterback, and he knew what Dobbs was going through. Dobbs was very um, praised. He, he was high praise of what O'Connell was able to do for him. And, again, not knowing... <laughs> Not knowing the cadence, not knowing their names, uh, none of the receivers that ever caught a pass in him, and just finding a way. Ran for a touchdown. He just played, played his heart out. This guy has been through so many different situations, and um, especially I think it's just about seventh team in the last three years. So he's been around the league. He's been looking to just break through, and I don't know if this is something I can guarantee that, but it's certainly something that uh, he'll hold on to for the rest of his career and. Certainly provides some serious resume stuff. We call him on short notice. Maybe you could just uh, get this done for you. But an incredible performance in the Vikings overall. And again, it's a, it's a question of whether it's sustainable or not. Well, you'd have to think if you can do that. I mean, there's the Falcons, who are, are quite bad and pretty pretty terrible. Um, a lot of suck going on there, especially if you're going to blow that game to. A guy who just got there a couple days ago. My goodness. I mean, sometimes you just run into that. But overall, there's more that he 
they have to do there. But and not using by John Robin, uh, B. John Robinson as much as not even not as much as just at all. They haven't been using B. John Robinson, so that's a whole different conversation with the NFC South. But yeah, Josh Jobs, tip of the cap to him. And again, you saw him struggle in the playoffs with Tennessee. You've seen originally getting drafted by the Steelers, been around. He was with the Browns in preseason, and then they um, decided to go with DTR and other stuff with P.J. Walker. I think the Browns would like to have him because of how DTR struggles were, and then you have Deshaun Watson getting hurt, and now Watson being back. Um, but they sure would like to have Dobbs. And then the Cardinals going with Dobbs because, obviously, with, with Kyler Murray not being able to come back from injury. And on top of that now, you you, you flip him over to the Vikings, and the, the Cardinals continue to tank away and just lose in this gross fashion too, the Cardinals do it. I guess they look somewhat competitive with Dobbs, but overall, not good enough. But I'm gonna tell you, you, you can, it's it's very hard to outplay bad coaching um, at any level, but more specifically the NFL, when every, all these players are so so talented. You have a lot of players of similar skill sets, um, and that's what it really comes down to is the fine, the fine stuff, the fine print. Um, you get a good, you get them with a good coach now. You get them with a obviously a different type of culture and he's able to do that on five days now i, I won't give all the credit there to the culture that a lot of this um you have to give credit to josh Dobbs for doing as well himself just being able to get through that but o'connell deserves his praise too and overall impressive uh, impressive weekend for the vikings and let's, uh, we'll see we'll see how they can do i mean you should only expect him to improve the more that he learns the system and becomes more comfortable there but certainly a momentum boost off this part coming off uh, start Coming off of such a, you know, dramatic shift in momentum with with Kirk Cousins going down hurt, um, the way that ha- that happened. So we'll see what the future holds for the Vikings. Now moving on to the Chargers, obviously getting rid of J.C. Jackson. That is not a deal uh, <laughs> at all that worked out for them. And recently traded for a late round draft pick back to the Patriots. Obviously, he was impressive um, with. The Patriots at his time there, and then signed an eighty-two and a half million dollar contract in free agency, um, and really struggled injuries, did not play well. I think he ended up being a healthy scratch at the end, and then was traded to the Patriots. Since then, uh, is now taking a mental reset and is not traveling with the Patriots overseas this week, which is a whole another conversation. You know, it looks like whatever late draft round draft pick that is, well worth it. I think they swapped one or two just to get Jackson off the payroll, but. Still have to pay him all that money. I'm not sure what chunk of the contract they do. They might have taken some money in the contract too, but I haven't read any reports on that. So the GM Tom Telesco for the Chargers apologized to the team for signing cornerback J.C. Jackson. He, <laughs> he apologized. My bad, guys. Um, eventually, obviously, the Chargers trading him back. The page like I mentioned for a late round swap. Telesco called the signing a swing and a miss and apologized to the other DBs on the team. I've never. I've, has anybody ever heard of this? Like, hey, um, my bad guys. Uh, he was bad. He was not good enough to be with, with us. Like, for, for a specific player, maybe was he that much of a cancer? Like, have I, have you ever heard of a GM apologizing for signing someone, or you just make the move to get him out of there? Like, isn't that like recognition enough? Like, I'm not. I'm not too sure of this one. Um, apologizing to the team for <laughs> for signing JC Jackson. I don't think J.C. Jackson much cares about getting paid that contract. Of course, not completely guaranteed, but it, it's strange to me 
that he would apologize. Like, is this? There's no way this is common practice, right? Because I just don't think that you'd be able to maintain your job. It was. I'm sure Telesco is upset that it even got out. But is it common practice to apologize for cutting a player? Not to him, but to the team because you signed him and it didn't work uh, to begin with. Not cut, but essentially the same thing. Just get rid of him. I, I've never heard of it before. I mean, maybe apologizing to the fans. I, no, I, you just if you make enough mistakes, you're just not the GM anymore. It, it's a, it's a strange one for me. I don't I don't I, I don't know if that's something you want to make common practice of, because then what if it's one of them? All of a sudden you apologize. Hey, this guy shouldn't have been there. Whatever. I guess in unique instances, and I guess in this one where obviously uh, a lot of stuff was going on with, uh, I believe there was a violation of. Was it parole violated? I don't think he met with a parole person. Then he went, but then obviously he got some back. Something was going on there where there was a warrant. Not maybe not a warrant out for him, or there was a lot going on off the field. There was a clear reason as to why he was undrafted as a rookie, and then he played well in Belichick's system. And now, you know, just like the Belichick method, how it goes when he leaves, uh, struggled with the Chargers. So, yeah, I, I think it's good to get him out of there. I don't know what the deal is with the contract and how much money they're going to lose on him, um, even for him not playing them, but. Uh, the way around's swap worth it. I don't know if, how the money works out in that deal, but to apologize for it, I think is strange. I don't think it's something they're going to make habit of, but uh, it goes to show you just how bad of a situation that was for J.C. Jackson and for the whole Chargers organization out there. A Chargers team that is certainly underachieving right now, uh, but you know when they run into you run into the Jets and something else we'll touch upon uh, coming up as well too. I guess it can't be that bad. You can't be under, underachieving that much. Um, but this Chargers team should be better, and they have a defensive head coach that continues to have a struggling defense. Um, I don't know how Staley's still there, but if a super talented quarterback, if a you know a defense that's struggling with a defensive head coach, I mean, got to figure that out, right? You got to figure out that defense one way or the other. Um, and if that's part of you know helping that defense and making your team better is get rid- getting rid of J.C. Jackson, then you know go for it. But apologizing after the fact. Uh, yeah, speaks to how bad it was. Speaking of how bad it was, Josh McDaniels. The news gets worse. Uh, I don't want. I don't know if I want to speak on all of it because now it's starting to kind of get out there, get crazy uh, with some of the stuff. Maybe some people are out here searching for uh, for clicks, more or less. But obviously, the Raiders beating the Giants thirty to six. But they have been through some serious troubles under Josh McDaniels and. I think he's still owed like 80 some, 84, 85 million by Davis and company. But you know, uh, Jake Laser confirmed uh, the meeting ripping Josh Daniels. He said it, it took place. And at one point, um, Antonio Pierce basically mentioned, um, you know, being a part of the Giants team that beat the Patriots, the, the perfect, almost perfect Patriots. And allegedly, McDaniels told Pierce, don't ever talk about the Patriots like that. Now, I don't know if, if that's coming straight from Pierce. Um, or where that be coming from, um, and said that also that Pierce is a legit shot at keeping the head coaching job long term if he proved himself, which obviously it was a good start, right? I mean, it looked like a totally different team. Um, I always like, unless it's a specific situation, um, when the interim coach, if they fire a coach, I do um, normally pick those teams to cover whatever spread they're dealing with because they just play differently. They have a certain energy about them. Um, they have something to prove all of a sudden again. They have something to prove to whatever, you know, they're they're always trying to put their services out there, right? So I always like to look at a team after they let go of a head coach and see how the players respond. And, and at that, that type of energy, of course, Devontae Adams, uh, they were seeing a clip of him saying, like, hey, 
Now it's gonna it's gonna be different. It's gonna change now, and it's not like this is not a talented Raiders roster. Um, so we'll see what Pierce is able to do with it. But again, the original story is that the Raiders players and assistant coaches ripped into the now former head coach Josh McDaniels. Uh, it was a team meeting held just uh, a couple days before his last game uh, against the Lions, where the Lions torched them. Ian Rappaport even jumped in on this and said the meeting appeared to take a toll on him. It left him as a shell of himself. The practice was different than any other. Um, he seemed in, less involved, like a bystander, like almost like he checked out. It totally changed um, McDaniel's in his entire character, which is unfortunate. But at the same time, like you don't know how he's treating people too. So they they didn't they didn't hold back is what it was allegedly said and. Of course, this is a team where that they, if you flip it the other way, a couple things swing the other way. They could be, um, they, they, the record could be much higher or much more improved, and they could be higher up there in terms of teams. That, you know, when you consider the money that they're spending and the, the talent that they have there, like a player like the, the caliber of Devontae Adams, and they've since you know said like, hey, Jimmy Garoppolo, we're paying you seventy something million dollars, and you're going to ride the pine. Like, of course, he's been dealing with injuries, um, was leading the league in, leading the league in interceptions, even in his limited play. Um, and then it's continued, right? It's it's continued with more news coming out that, you know, with obviously Garoppolo being benched now for O'Connell. They come out and win with the rookie O'Connell, who was a fifth-round pick, fourth-round pick, right? He was a later-round pick. Dave Ziegler uh, was also let go, too. Uh, that, was, that was his GM. And, again, he wanted to work with Garoppolo. And this is why I said, like, I didn't feel bad for him as much in Denver, well, at least until I read the next headline, maybe maybe I won't. But I'm not convinced of this next headline yet. But with the one that we're currently on, he wanted to bring in Garoppolo. Like, this was his guy. This was what he wanted to do. It's kind of on you now, right, that you brought that guy in and that was going to be uh, the heir to the throne there. You, you, you got rid of Derek Carr in kind of a bad fashion of bringing Garoppolo. He signed a three-year, $72.75 million deal, dealt with injuries. But he just hasn't looked like the same guy dealing through all of these injuries either. And just, again, it might be a product of the fact of poor offense and poor coaching from McDaniels. But overall, this is how the, this is his guy. Um, and allegedly, of course, Ziggler will defend himself for this and maybe considering um, they will just pile on to McDaniels at this point because he knows how much worse McDaniels looks than him. Um, turns out that Dave Ziggler tried to talk Josh McDaniels out of signing Jimmy G. They disagreed a lot. And Josh had more of the pull there considering the contract. And McDaniels wanted Garoppolo. Ziggler thought it was a terrible decision. Quickly changes now with O'Connell being in there. Even looked better than he did in the relief appearance when he when when Jimmy G was dealing with the injury, and of course Corey overstepped in as a point there too. Not a good look right now for Josh McDaniels. I don't I, I cannot the only place I can see him taking him back is the New England Patriots as a coordinator. And uh the guy that's doing that, he might not have that much longer either, considering Again, people are going to look me crazy. Like, how do they get rid of Bill? And I'm not here to crush Bill. But the way it's starting the point, it's not a good look for the Patriots and Bill Belichick right now. And after that, who knows who's going to be willing to take McDaniels because of just his character alone. I mean, you have a low-character head coach. Just how do you set up a culture with a coach who doesn't particularly care for players? So now this rumor, I'm going to call it a rumor because those other ones are stories. I do think that there's there's just backing to those. We, we want to talk about the rumor mill now. And the rumor is that a former player for McDaniels that has since moved into the media world and writing said that McDaniels traded. Peyton Hillis was kind of a one-hit wonder there, but obviously recently 
um, nearly drown, but save someone from drowning in the action. And um, I said survive, but he allegedly traded away Peyton Hillis because McDaniel's wife was attracted to him. Now <laughs> we're pulling, we're pulling from. I don't know. This is deep here, but it, so I'll get into the story. Allegedly, when McDaniel's got the news that he was fired, he he basically called homeless kids to to break the news from trick or treating. Which again, this is all hearsay and rumor mill stuff, and kind of just piling on to the character of McDaniel's at this point. But it's kind of clear the dude was a little weird, and maybe is more. He's certainly X and O's, but in terms of his people skills and player relationships and manage just overall people management clearly wasn't this guy's skill and maybe he was a little better off as a coordinator but yeah allegedly didn't let them enjoy the night brought them right back home and broke the news to him which hey it's big news but like maybe could have waited till the next day it's not you know you're there's only one halloween you're, you're fired for however long it takes you to get another gig right so former broncos tight end nate jackson he's now an author and he wrote an article on McDaniel's failure as a head coach in the NFL and shared some stories of his own when he was with him on that Broncos team in 2009. And according to him, McDaniel's um, had a fragile ego um, on and off the field. As it's clear now that there's some wiring up there that it hasn't added up to success. And of course, how much that success can now be owed to Tom Brady? I mean, you can you can dig deeper and deeper into this. It's certainly hurting the credibility of Josh McDaniels. And Jackson shared that there was a rumor uh, for why McDaniels traded away Peyton Hillis, who would eventually go on to have a really good year with the Browns. I mean, it's not like Peyton Hillis went on for this long, illustrious career, but he did blow up uh, the season after he left Denver. and um, Or not the season after, but in the period of time after. He, he was not too, too bad with the Cleveland Browns, but... He traded away Peyton Hillis, this is the player talking about the running back, because his own wife found Hillis attractive. Now, this is just, again, a rumor. We're, we're really, <laughs> really digging here, and Jackson put it this way. McDaniel's ego wasn't just a delicate flower on the field. He famously sent packing Peyton Hillis because word had it, McDaniels thought his wife had a thing for the guy. Um, yeah, so the following season, Hillis would go on to run for 1,600, not just run, but, you know, 1,600 total yards, 13 touchdowns, and he ended up being on uh, the cover of Madden at a point there. And again, Jackson said that he was, you know, cut from the Broncos, and he said he found out that his Bronco career was over from a message left on his parents' answering machine. His parents were like, hey, uh, I think you should go check this out. Um... And he tried to contact McDaniels, like, kind of like for an explanation. Um, like, what's the deal here? You know, maybe just uh, maybe you want to thank the guy for an opportunity or just whatever. You wanted to basically touch base with McDaniels. And his secretary told him that he was in a meeting and that he would call him back. And McDaniels never called him back. So people management, a uh, big part of being a coach, more so than scheme and X's and O's. You like the schemes to kind of coexist. But I think... Creating culture is more of a head coach's responsibility. Maybe some of the player personnel stuff too. That's also involved with the culture. Having a general scheme that you want to do and have a general idea, but you're no longer just a play caller. And some of these guys really are talented play callers and head coaches, but more often than not, you're building a culture 
Um, and clearly McDaniels could not find any success at all in doing that. And I'm not going to continue to kick the guy while he's down on this team. Like, we know they're bad. So I'm not even going to have them in three down. Like, we know they're bad. But here we are, three up, three down, the NFL power rankings from last week. The three teams who showed and proved the most to move up and three down. Well, it's not just teams this time around. We have one team and eh, maybe more than this one team, but we'll get to the three down. But the three up, the Baltimore Ravens with another statement victory. I mean, this is a good Seahawks team. It's a good Seahawks defensive team. And again, Lamar Jackson not doing anything too incredible but again when he's healthy and just he's leading I, I think his completion percentage was incredible 21 of 26 um only took one sack he, he was moving around to 10 carries for 60 yards and and he's spreading the ball around it looks like um the play calling has certainly improved he's, Huntley came in there to throw for a score at a, at a point as well too and Overall, Jackson just making the right decisions, doing enough, not turning the ball over, allowing the run game to do its thing. He's directing traffic. He's, he's being a game manager, and he's a super talented game manager at that. But in the situations they're in, um, this is a good Seahawks team that was uh, first in the NFC West and was coming in on a, a pretty good run. And the Ravens, uh, much like they did to the Lions, dispatched them so easily. So super impressive performance from not just Jackson, but the Ravens overall as well. And that's why they're the leader. I, I think not just in terms of this three up, but overall this could be um, a leader in terms of overall power rankings going into the playoffs. This, this is certainly a Super Bowl bubble team, and it might be the clear favorite um, for a Super Bowl this season. So every statement win the Ravens need, they continue to win those games. That's why they're the leaders in three up. And another uh, statement win was the Cincinnati Bengals. Joe Burrow is back. Um <laughs> I mean, maybe this is a regressing Bills team, and I'm not, and I'm giving too much credit to the Bengals, and because I give too much credit to the Bills over time, considering their last couple of seasons. But over again, 348 yards and two passing touchdowns uh, for Joe, Joe Joe Burrow in this one, and now that he's back healthy and back over these uh, early couple weeks struggles, finding T Higgins uh, for over 100 yards in this one. And again, this is a game that the Bills just continue to. To turn the ball over, it's more, it's just too much pressure on Josh Allen overall um, for the Bills, and they continue to regress. They're not featuring in three down because, good Lord, there's some way worse teams. But, yeah, no, Cincinnati, uh, this is an immense, immense thing. It, it shifts Joe Burrow's MVP odds. It, it's a win that they needed. There was not much run game in it. It was just Joe Burrow slinging the rock. Um, they only one sack for Joe Burrow. They protected him pretty well, and... I don't, I don't know what to say. I mean, you're going to compete in that with, with the Ravens over there, so you're going to have to do it as a wild card team uh, if you are the Bengals. But at this point, it doesn't matter. This is a, this is another team. Like there, There's something about the it factor with Joe Burrow at the quarterback position for the Cincinnati Bengals. And now that he's back healthy and back playing at this level, uh, we talked about it on the Fumble Rooski podcast. I said I kind of wanted to see something more legit out of them. I wanted to see some more legit wins um, before I could say something the Seahawks one, eh, I can call it legit. I wasn't still, I still wasn't, you know, totally a believer yet. But after this one over the Bills, I think certainly this is a team that might not be um, in the Super Bowl bubble yet, but certainly is knocking on the door 
of getting themselves in there. And they are number two on my three up this week. And then the final team on the three up, it's, it's just the Texans and C.J. Stroud. Um, I don't know um, if they're going to be a playoff team this season, but the, the comeback effort from C.J. Stroud there um, and another incredible effort overall um, from C.J. Stroud throwing for over 400 yards and five touchdowns as a rookie. Um, again, this is where it kind of helps me segue into the three down and the dumpster fire of the NFC South. But, yeah, just absolutely going to work. He, he was sacked multiple times. C.J. Stroud still able to just throw the ball around. He had three receivers over 100 yards. We had Brown, uh, he had the tight end Schultz, Nico Collins at a touchdown, Tank Dell. So this is obviously a new culture being instilled there by uh, D'Amico Ryans and C.J. Stroud is just playing on a different level, and this is this is not what you would expect from an Ohio State quarterback, right? You wouldn't expect you'd expect the curse, you would expect struggles, but C.J. Stroud has been doing absolute damage to begin this season as one of the top passers in the NFL, and I, I tip my cap to him. And in that South division, this is the. I mean, if he continues to play at this level, I don't know what they can do because the Jags are certainly getting there, but. If this is a team that sneaks into the playoffs, I'm not saying they're doing damage now, but that type of experience early on in Stroud's career, um, again, even Justin Fields for periods of time has, you know, been running around and doing well in that success. And they, again, the Texans are a team that's three and one at home. They played well at home, uh, but that just the way he was able to do that comeback was absolutely immense. <laughs> Buccaneers were plus two and a half. They knelt for the two point conversion because their kicker got hurt. That was that was something. Um, that was certainly. Um, and pr- impressive, but yeah, C.J. Stroud in this game, there there was no run game. There was you know used to us playing from behind for most of this one, and able to go on that immense comeback and hang tough with a Buccaneers team who, again not that impressive, but for a young quarterback, for a rookie quarterback like Stroud to be able to do what he did, you have to tip your cap, and they are one of the biggest movers of the week for me because the team that with the the way the Jets played and other teams in the AFC moving down like the titans as well and that it, i don't think that afc north is sustainable to beat the records that they are as well texans very well could find themselves sneaking in and with a play gj stroud if he can even come close to competing at this level for uh, a consistent period of time uh, will certainly open up different discussions three downtime the, the depressing side of it and the nfc south as a whole you look at bryce young who's throwing more touchdown passes to opposing players than he is to his own teammates. Two pick sixes uh, to Kenny Moore <laughs> in the Colts, which is horrifyingly bad. But he, he, this is, again, he has not looked good. And Again, you could say C.J. Stroud as, as a number two, like, oh, maybe he has more to work with. No, like there's just a clear difference in the way that uh, he does not look as comfortable. Um, we're not going to talk about coaching weapons, anything like that. Like there are just something in the air when it comes to Bryce Young and they, their first round pick this year is going to be one and two the Bears are going to have both of them because of how bad the Bears are and then on top of that like how bad the Panthers are and they don't have that first round pick to work with so not too good the Falcons losing to Josh Dobbs on five days notice that the guy had not even taken reps in practice the Saints doing everything they could to try and lose to the Bears and still somehow coming out on top because of how discombobulated and how depressing that coaching staff is. The decision to go for it on fourth down the way they did was gross, not take the points. I mean, I'm not just upset because they didn't cover the spread for me. Like, it just looked like they were trying to – they deserved to lose that game based off those coaching decisions. They're forcing all these turnovers late. They're making Tyson Bajit look good to begin the game. 
Uh, they came around at the end, but yet still, does this not look like a complete like complete team? There's a lot to look forward to because they have such a weak schedule, but I still think they're going to be outcoached in every game, pretty much, especially if they get to games that matter. The playoffs are going to be outcoached like the first game they play in. And their ceiling is not too high. For the talent this team has, their ceiling should be higher, but it is not. And then the Buccaneers blowing that game to the Texans. The Falcons there. The Saints. It's just gross. It's a gross division. So, three down. We're going to go three down concepts. The entire NFC South is the worst division in football. The AFC South is pretty bad. But this NFC South, like, this is going to be the... The, the team with the losing record in the playoffs that wins that first round game because that's just how um, that's gone historically. But my goodness, there should be no excuse for the Saints to not win it. And they're going to do everything they can to try and lose it. Uh, moving down the three down, it, it's the, the Miami Frauds. I'm sorry, Dolphins. Um, again, like I throw this, round, this word around maybe too often, um, but... All their wins against teams with losing records, and they have not beat a team with a winning record. They've played in a couple of these big games, and they have not done any damage. And this is historically the Mike McDaniel thing in the last two years. They have not played well in the big games. They even lost to the Bills um, in one of their big games. And, again, until they win some of these big games and win these prove-it games, look at, like, example, the Ravens. Even the Lions, after they got blown out by the Ravens, they responded against the Raiders. They beat a team they should have. Now, it didn't look incredibly pretty, but at the end of the day, they... They did handily beat them. So there's some certain teams out there that we've been improving games. And this is a game for Kansas City. They have to come out and prove it. They did not play well offensively, but defensively they came through. Um, there was a there were multiple opportunities and multiple ways the Dolphins had to come back to win this game. And again, playing from behind, they did not look uh, super impressive if impressive at all early. Um, they need to be better. They need to be doing more. And they need to certainly be doing more in these bigger games against better teams because these are playoff caliber teams. What are you going to do when you get into the dance? Again, still first place in the AFC East because the Bills continue to regress. But yeah, no, I don't know how long the culture can be this way too because clearly there's going to be breaking points. Will they find it? It doesn't look like they will. Again, McDaniel might be more of a coordinator than a coach. Again, this, there's, 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 it's not just being the smartest guy in the room. You have to be able to have, build a culture. You have to be able to have guys want to play for you. You have to know how to get the most out of people, get the most out of your players. And if you're just a bright brain, that's that's something that's worth noting. I mean, you might be a really good football brain, but you might not be a head coach. And, again, McDaniel, that's the one thing that he's got to prove. He's got to win some of these bigger games. And it's so early on, but, our, you know, sample size, it's there. We've seen it. How are they going to change it? That's why the Dolphins are one of the teams that moved down in the power ranks. I mean, they, they're outside of the Super Bowl bubble. They're no longer a Super Bowl team. No matter how fast-paced, no matter how high-octane their offense is, it's been slowed. Um, they haven't been able to do the same damage, and they certainly haven't been able to do the same damage against winning teams. Third and final three down. I was going to pick the Giants, but they're already down there. And then I was going to pick the Jets, but then I just said, screw it, we're just going to do New York football as a whole because 12 combined points from two NFL teams, one in a primetime spot on Monday night, is just you can't have it. can't have it. The Giants, they make the Raiders, who are one of the most dysfunctional organizations, if not the most in professional football, look like world beaters. And then the Jets, oh my, can we protect Zach? Can we do anything? Can we protect Zach Wilson? Like, again, the defense has played so, so, so well. 
there's no explosiveness. There's no cohesiveness. There, there's, I mean, you're throwing a ton with Zach Wilson. Can we get some form of run game going? But you can't because they don't respect his, not just his ability, but overall the offense's big play ability to, to, to do anything explosive. He almost throws 50 passes. Gets sacked eight times. Maybe he's holding on to the ball too long looking for that big play. I don't know. Even Aaron Rodgers, you can't bring Aaron Rodgers back. Even if he comes back early from the injury, he's just going to get hurt again. You can't let him rush back. It could ruin his career. He doesn't have much of it left. You, you, you Just one year with Aaron Rodgers on a decent O-line with this defense might actually be not just a Super Bowl like possibility, but like I'm not going to say lock, but <laughs> the way this defense is played, be the best defense Aaron Rodgers has ever seen. And all you get, do is get one right for one year and transform this team. The fact that they're 500 right now is unbelievable and just gross. Gross performance from New York football. The whole Tommy DeVito in there. He threw for negative one yard, what, a week or two ago. Um, he's starting this upcoming week. His Jones comes back, then tears his ACL. Um, and this is a guy that they paid, and I think he's only as good as what's surrounding him. Dave Ball's been frustrated. dabble has been frustrated. With, with Jones specifically, and now the injury situation. Saquon's dealt with injuries. Um, football in New York again. We, we might need to ban it for a year. We might need to just... Maybe we, think we can call up a USFL team and call up an XFL team, the winners of both of those leagues, and we can just have the you know, New York football just take a year off because I can't watch anymore. And I act like I watch it. I don't watch the game specifically. I watch Red Zone, so I don't watch it. But when I do it, it's something disgusting. And, we, and they had him in the prime time spot two weeks in a row now. The Raiders will probably just destroy him next week too. But then the Jets are going to Jets and they'll find a way to the – again, I don't know. It, it, <laughs> uh, do they, do they, the Raiders have the emotional capability to reset and regroup. I mean, that's going to be a big ask for a new head coach, but it looks like the Jets – their defense is so good, but it's not – they're going to be on the field so often. It's a toilet bowl on a Monday night. It's gross. So, again, back-to-back weeks. I don't know if that's Sunday night football or Monday. It's Sunday night football this upcoming week. So two primetime spots in a row for the Jets, which would have been great if Aaron Rodgers uh, was the quarterback, but they're not. They didn't. They had a chance to flex the amount of primetime. They chose not to, and it'll still be the Raiders. and uh, Them and the Raiders, and it's just disgusting. Football in New York. Got to gotta ban it. Got to ban it, and I... God bless you if you watch that Sunday night game. I mean, I probably will be because it'll involve me in my pool, which I was the leader of last I checked. But anyways, that's all we got in this episode. That was three up, three down. And that's the 30th installment of Season 5 of the Rufus Rundown. Probably approaching 100 episodes all time. I'll have to do the homework on that. But be sure to follow the Rufus Rundown at Rufus Rundown everywhere on social media. On TikTok, it's the Rufus Rundown. The Facebook page, the Rufus Rundown. Um, and all those bios will have the information at Linktree where you can get this podcast available on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Music, and more. I appreciate y'all for tuning in. Be sure to like and subscribe as well. It's Boy Rufus. Signing out.